The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. If you do have your Bibles, would you grab them with me? We're going to be in the book of Joel. Um, If you're new with us or if you missed last week, this is our second week in this incredible book and as we're working through Joel. As I said last week, Joel is not a common book. Um, I know that I've talked to many of you who've said, you know, I don't think I've ever read Joel I don't know if uh, I've ever studied Joel, and for that reason, I'm so excited that we get the chance to work through, work through Joel, because the message is timeless. The message is absolutely timeless and important, and I believe that through this time, God is going to speak to us, directly to us, and so I, I'm, I'm excited. And, and honestly, in our time already through Joel, God has used it in a big way in my life. And, uh, and so I, I'm excited to continue on in that. Well, last week, just to catch us up, so last week we talked about Joel's prominent theme called the Day of the Lord. And we, we looked at the way God looks at and responds to sin. And last week we talked about just the simple statement, God takes sin ster- seriously. Our God takes sin seriously. Our God still takes sin seriously. In fact, as we talked about last week, we talked about the fact that our God takes sin just as seriously today as he did on the pages of the Old Testament. Because he is perfect, he is holy, he is just, he is righteous. And as Joel reminds us, there will come a day when All of the sin, every sin, all of the brokenness, all of the perversions of his goodness, everything. There will come a day when the Lord will return as the righteous judge and judge the living and the dead. And that day is the day that Joel calls the day of the Lord. And and on that day, Joel is very clear that nothing will escape. In fact, he compares it to this disturbing comparison of a terrible locust plague. If you remember last week, I showed you the picture of these nasty, huge locusts, right? It, it just a, a plague. He, he says millions of locusts are going to come in waves. They're going to eat everything. They're going to destroy everything. They're going to lay everything bare. I mean, just lay it, destroy it all. Uh, it, I'll, let me read this. Verse four of chapter one, if you remember, he says, the, what the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts have eaten. And what those swarming locusts left, well, the hopping locusts have eaten. And then just to be all-inclusive here, what the hopping locusts left, the destroying locusts have eaten. The point here that Joel is making is that nothing escapes. It is all laid bare, and Joel warns his people, he's warning you, warning us, that the day of the Lord is coming and it will be a day of destruction, a day when all creation will give an account to our creator. And that day is coming. So Joel warns, be aware, be alert, be on guard. He says, blow the trumpet. In other words, listen, listen up. And as we were able to see last week, this is not just a Joel thing. 
We saw the same theme, this day of the Lord. We saw it all throughout the Old Testament in prophets like Amos and um, Zephaniah and, and Ezekiel, Isaiah. We saw it in books like Genesis. It's a prominent theme, but it's not only an Old Testament theme. We also saw last week as Peter and Paul, New Testament writers, point us to the day of the Lord. And just like Joel, they say, be alert, be on guard, because that day is coming and no one will escape. The day of the Lord is coming and your God hates sin. He still hates sin. And you hear that and you think, well, thank you, pastor. This is discouraging. This is going to be a heavy morning. This doesn't sound very loving. What about grace? What about mercy? What about the gospel? Listen, as we begin our time, the good news of the gospel must flow out of this. It must flow out of this because the gospel is not that because Jesus came, now God is less cranky about sin. Now God's standards against sin have somehow lessened. It's not that God now because of Jesus only cares if you're sincere and if you try really hard. The gospel is not that God has less wrath toward sin The gospel is that the full wrath of God was poured out on Christ instead of you. We must understand the seriousness of sin if we are going to fully understand the goodness of the cross. It must flow from this. To take, the gospel doesn't take sin lightly. And if we take sin lightly, we are taking Jesus lightly, the cross lightly, and we have a false understanding of who our God is. So Joel reminds us, the day of the Lord is coming. And because of that, here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to answer the question, so what now? What do we do? Since that's true, what do we do? Since it's true that no one and nothing can escape, what do we do? Since it's true that all creation will give an account, what do we do? Understanding that I am, that you are, that we are, Sinners. Every single one of us. What now? I want to say one more thing before we pray. Um, I've been looking forward to preaching this text all year long. So I am, I am looking forward to answering the question, what do we do in light of the day of the Lord? What do we do in light of the day of the Lord? So with that being said, we're going to turn to Joel 2. And and as we do that, I'd like to just take a quick moment. I'd like for us to just come together in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking through your prophet Joel and giving us the opportunity to hear from you this morning. Uh, God, last week we came before you and prayed a big prayer. We prayed that you would change us that you would change our hearts and our lives through the truth of your word, through your spirit who is at work in us and through your word. And Lord, that remains our prayer this morning. Would you call us to yourself and would you change us? And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, like I said, we're gonna pick up in chapter two. I wanna pick up right where we left off. So um, I got up to verse 11 
last week, so I want to start right there. Uh, Verse 11, Joel is painting this picture of the dreadful day of the Lord that's coming for creation. Um, Verse 11 says that the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word, his word is powerful. And he says this, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Who can endure it? No one can escape. Nothing can escape. Who can endure? And then Joel continues his message, and this is where we'll pick up. Verse 12 starts with a wonderful word, yet. Yet or or but. This is one of those divine buts of your Bible. The day of the Lord is coming. No one can escape. But, yet. No one can endure it, yet. But Joel says, yet even now, meaning even now in light of the coming of the Lord, in light of your sin, in light of your shortcomings, but even now declares the Lord, return to me, return to me, come back to me. So I I said, we're going to ask the question, what do we do in light of the coming of the day of the Lord? What do we do knowing that the day of the Lord is coming and knowing what that day will be? What can we do? Well, the Lord says it clearly, return to me. This idea of returning to the Lord is a word that we see in Scripture, all throughout Scripture. It's the word repent. Repentance is the act of acknowledging, confessing, and turning. Repentance is acknowledging our sin, not just, not just kind of justifying ourselves, but acknowledging seeing the sin, then confessing the sin, confessing that it is a sin, bringing that sin to light, and then turning from it. As God says through Joel, return to him. Turning to the Lord is this scriptural idea of repentance. So what do we do in light of the day of the Lord? Well, first, we repent. So I want to ask you a question. Um, Please don't feel the need to answer this out loud. Um, How often do you repent of your sin before your God? When is the last time that you have acknowledged your sin before him, confessed? When's the last time you have repented and turned from your sin to the Lord? The reason I ask this is there is a common misconception that I just want to bring to light that I have heard in many evangelical circles. Um, And the misconception is this, that somehow repentance is the thing that you do when you are a lost person coming to faith. It's this one-time thing you repent and believe, right? It's this one-time, one-and-done thing that a person does when you first turn to Jesus, And that as you follow Jesus, as a Christian, you lose the need to repent because you're forgiven. That's not scriptural. Uh, Repentance is not something that we see in scriptural being, seeing in scripture being a one-time event, a one-time thing that we do, uh, a one and done. It's not that when you come to Jesus, you lose your need to come to the Lord in repentance. In fact, let me just say this clearly. When you come to Jesus, it is then that the Spirit begins to open your eyes and convict you. 
It is then that your sin is revealed to you. It is then that the Spirit is conforming you and sanctifying you, revealing your sin to you and making you more like Jesus. It's when you come to Jesus that you truly then need to repent. That you truly need to come to him with the sin of your life. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more the, the, you walk in the Spirit, the more the Spirit reveals your sin. And the more the Spirit reveals your sin, the more we respond on our knees in brokenness. The more you and I will repent, the more you and I will turn to the Lord. I'll push this further. There is no sanctification There is no growth in grace. There is no growth in holiness apart from repentance. If you're in a season, by the way, and you're here thinking, I know, I'm in a season where I feel beat up. I feel like my sin is ever before me. If you're here, many of you have been in one of these seasons where you just feel like every day is a day of repentance. If you're here at church, praise God for those seasons, not because they are pleasant, Not because they are pleasant, but praise God because your God is working on you. He disciplines those that he loves. Repentance is the means of Christian growth. There is no growth apart from repentance. So God calls to us, Joel is calling to us, saying, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is still coming. And the day of the Lord is coming soon, so repent. Repent. Return to me. And how are we to repent? How are we to return to him? God says, I love this, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Verse 13, and rend your hearts and not your garments. God calls us to return to him, um, not downplaying our sin but broken by our sin, understanding the weight of our sin. He calls us to return to him. He says, with weeping and mourning and fasting and in prayer. So I want to ask the same question again. Again, no need to answer out loud. When is the last time, how often do you repent of your sin before your God like that? When is the last time you came before the Lord this broken? When is the last time you came before the Lord and just wept and mourned over the weight of your sin? When's the last time you have fasted and prayed over your sin? Um, This is the scriptural word, lament. When is the last time you have lamented over your sin? I lament over a lot of things, church. But when's the last time I have lamented, truly lamented over my sin? When's the last time we have lamented over the sins of our community? Lamented over the sins of brothers and sisters that we love? I want to be honest, it feels almost weird to talk this way. I mean... Pastor, this is depressing. Is this the way we're supposed to live our Christian life, just moping around, woe is me, lamenting all the time? It feels weird, right? It feels weird for the people of grace to dwell and lament over our sin. That feels strange. 
It feels weird for the people of grace to be constantly aware of our sin. That feels weird, but it shouldn't. In fact, it should be weird for the people of grace, the people of God, not to lament over our sin. It should be weird for the people of God, the people of grace, for our hearts not to be broken for our sin. When we ignore sin, we give that sin victory over us. When we repent and lament over sin, we declare the victory of Jesus over that sin in our lives. This is huge, and it is huge because lament over sin has become so uncommon and so unpopular in our lives and in our churches. God says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. And, and I, wanna, I want you to hear me here. This idea of repent and lament is a, both a personal thing and a corporate thing. I mean, follow, follow with me here. Verse 13, rend your hearts and not your garments, right? In other words, don't go through the motions. Don't just wear the right things, say the right things, walk the right way, talk the right way. Don't just do that. I want your heart, God says. I'm looking not for your emotions, not for your garments. I'm looking for your heart. I'm not looking for you to look the right way on the outside. I'm looking for your heart. This is highly personal. This is you coming to your God, returning to your God with all of your heart. This is deeply personal, but it does not end there. Look down at verse 15 with me. We see the trumpet being blown in Zion again. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Verse 16, gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. In other words, stop what you're doing. Notice, church, this is also not just a personal call, but it is a collective corporate call here. It's a call to us as his people to return to him together. We privatize our faith a lot. Where we say my faith is important and deeply personal, and it is. Your faith is deeply personal, but your deeply personal faith is never meant to be private. Your deeply personal faith is never meant to be private. In fact, God calls you to be his child. That's deeply personal. But you're also called as that child to be placed into a people that is collective. And this call here is to come together as a people, to gather as a people, and together lament over sin. It's a corporate acknowledging of our sin, confessing our sin, repenting of our sin. It's a corporate call to lament. He's pointing us to the day of the Lord. He says, it's coming, and in light of that, lament over your sin, repent over your sin, return to him, and I want you to hear me. As we do this, listen to what Joel says. Return to your God. Listen to this. For he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. The Lord, our Lord, is gracious, meaning he gives us what we do not deserve. 
He is merciful, meaning he withholds the punishment that we do deserve. He is slow to anger. Praise God, church, that our God is slow to anger and is full of patience. He's abounding in steadfast love. Abounding meaning he's not running short. It's not on short supply. It's abounding and overflowing and never ending. And it is steadfast meaning he does not waver in his love. And the Lord, our Lord, relents over disaster like the people of Nineveh in in Jonah 3 or God's people in Exodus 32. He relents and he turns from disaster. So if you follow me, we know that our God is perfect and holy. We know that a day is coming, the day of the Lord is coming, when all creation will give an account. We know this, and we know that no one will escape. And at the same time, we know that our God is perfectly gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love to his people. So God calls the prophet Joel to return to him, to repent over our sin, to lament over our sin. As I said last week, our great temptation will be to take our own sin lightly. If we aren't careful, we can grow content with the sin that took our Savior's life. We can grow content living in the sin from which Christ died to set us free. We can grow content with our sin, accepting it, even making provisions for it instead of making war against it. And this is our great temptation. And because that is our great temptation, here's what can often happen. We can presume on God's grace. We can treat God's grace as if it were cheap. We can catch ourselves having an attitude that sounds something like this. You know what? I do struggle. I do sin, but it's okay. God God forgives me. God forgives me. You know, um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm all right. We can catch ourselves doing that. I don't know if you've ever been there. I want to share a story with you. Um, I had a friend uh, a couple years ago, uh, who shared his testimony with me and a group of guys, a small group of guys. Um, my friend was a pastor, is a pastor, and in his testimony, he shared his struggle with pornography. And as he shared, um, he began to just weep, and as guys we don't typically get together and have weeping sessions like this. So he could feel in the room, it was a little bit of a tense moment. And, and I remember when he felt that he, uh, he kind of collected himself and, and I remember him saying, I wasn't always this bothered by my sin. <laughs> he said that for years, I looked at pornography, I was a professing Christian, I was a pastor, serving my church while engaging in this sin. And he said, I would look at it all the time and it wouldn't bother me much anymore. In fact, I remember him saying this and it just stuck with me. He said, I would engage in this sin and then immediately close the computer and go lead a prayer meeting. I would immediately just kind of close the computer and go preach and go counsel. 
It just didn't bother me. It didn't impact me anymore. I accepted it. He said each time he did it, he, he just knew. I mean, Jesus died for me. He'll forgive me. He knew he was a Christian, and he said, you know, I just didn't worry about it. I just thought God would always give me mercy and grace. And I remember in his testimonies he shared, he said, you know, I thought I understood God's grace, but I didn't. He said, I understood a very cheap and counterfeit version of grace. He said, I understood the grace, the version of grace that the enemy wanted me to understand in order to keep me bound in bondage to the sin that I was bound in. Here's what happened in his life, though. He began to tell us how the Spirit did begin to convict him. And one day he felt, you know, I need to share this. And so he had a a brother in his life that was very close. He trusted, and he said, you know what, it's time to share. And as he did, he said, it's nothing that this brother said. It was just as I was speaking, the weight of my sin finally for the first time landed on my shoulders. He said, as I was speaking, I I realized I have never once lamented over this sin. I have never once been broken. I have never once has this brought tears to my eyes. Never once has this caused me to fast, brought me to my knees. Never once has this caused me even to pause. And in this moment, as that weight hit him, he just broke. It just, the sin of his life began to absolutely break his heart, and he began to realize that the enemy had been doing a a work on him, keeping him in the bondage of his sin. And I remember him saying, "All all I understood up to that point was a cheap version of my sin and a cheap version of grace. And the man who was sharing that testimony with us was a changed man, not because he was perfect, not because he never struggled anymore and magic pill. No, he was a different man because he understood the grace of God. And through tears, he talked about the healing and the joy that he now walks in because he takes his sin seriously and because he takes grace seriously. He said it's as though the Holy Spirit took blinders off of his eyes. And he was able to see himself clearly. Church, cheap sin leads to cheap grace. Cheap sin, our view of our sin, when we view our sin in a cheap way, it leads us to view the grace of God in a cheap way as well. Cheap sin leads to cheap grace. And cheap sin and cheap grace are at complete odds with what we read in Scripture, at complete odds with what we read in Joel. Return to me with all of your heart with fasting and weeping and with mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments. Blow the trumpet, call a fast, gather the people. Everyone stop what we're doing, come together, cry out to me. Repent and lament over your sin and in doing so experience the goodness of our God, the goodness of his grace. Experience his mercy and his steadfast love and his patience towards you. Now, I want to ask a question. What does this look like for us practically? 
Because here's the reality. You might be here, you might hear this, and you might get it theologically. You might get it kind of philosophically and scripturally. You might get it. But what does this look like on a practical level? How do we live this? I want to give us three things as we close. First, make a regular and consistent practice of repentance. If you have not done this, if you do not already practice this, do this daily. Create a practice of prayer and of repentance and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life as he promised to do. Do this on a personal level. But also, church, let me just push on you. Make a regular and consistent practice of doing this with a trusted brother and sister James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Put this to practice and allow the Spirit to do his work in your life just as he promises to do. Make a regular, consistent practice of repentance. Second, Allow yourself to be saddened over sin. Allow yourself to be saddened over sin. For some of you, this is going to sound odd, and for some of you, this might even sound unholy. Our tendency is to want to stop sadness. Don't be sad. Be happy. God loves you. How could you be sad? Stop it. Be happy. That's the tendency that we might feel But church, sadness over sin, sadness over our sin, serves a divine purpose in your life. Allow yourself to lament. And let that lamenting over your sin point you to Jesus. You will not be left there. As you do this, by the way, as you do this, you are going to find that you are in great company with a host of biblical authors. You're going to realize that while I get the Psalms, I understand Ecclesiastes. I understand the prophets. I understand the apostles. I just want us to think about this for a moment. When did sadness over sin stop being our normal reaction? As the church, as as the Spirit convicts us of our sin, allow the weight of that sin to sadden your heart. And that sounds so unholy. But scripturally, we find that that is an altogether holy practice. Make a regular and consistent practice of repentance. Allow yourself to be saddened over sin. And then lastly, understand that no sin is too big or small for the cross of Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts you, and I need you to hear me. As a child of God, the Holy Spirit convicts you not to condemn you, but to sanctify you. The conviction that we feel is not one of condemnation. It is one to free you from the bondage of sin. In Christ, there is no sin, no sin no sin that can separate you from God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the Holy Spirit convicts you in order to conform you to Jesus. Our God takes sin seriously, and so should we. 
I want us to respond this morning, and I thought it would be appropriate, I thought it would be beautiful if we could respond with a time of reflection before we take communion together. I want to ask you right where you are to take a moment, just a minute or two, right where you are to reflect and to pray. I want to ask you in the next minute or two to ask the Lord, would you reveal sin in my life and would you convict? Would you break my heart for what breaks yours? And as the Holy Spirit begins to reveal that sin, would you, right where you are, just acknowledge your sin before him and would you confess your sin to him and would you return to him this morning? I'd like to ask, let's take a moment and would you respond? And here in a moment, um, close us in prayer and we'll set up together to remember Jesus through communion. But before we do that, we're not in a hurry. Would you take a moment and let's ask the Spirit to do a work. body of Christ that was broken, through the blood of Christ that was shed. It is only through that that we have the forgiveness of our sins. And so, Lord, we thank you for the cross. 